0: We are back! Episode four! Just moving right along with season two, Journeys into Whiteness, your favorite podcast about everything to do with white privilege, white supremacy, race, racism. That's a lie, by the way, not everything to do. Not at all. I'm very narrowly looking at how all of those ideas are communicated and propagated and multiplied within the white world from a white perspective. Like always, my goal is just to clear-eyed, to take a clear-eyed look at what it means to be a white man in a world built to benefit white men. And so we're moving right along in the chronology of my life. If you've listened to episodes one through three so far in season two, and even if you've listened to episodes in season one, you know that in the timeline of Jimmy Lincoln's life, we are in middle school, about to enter high school, and today's anecdote is going to focus on eighth and ninth grade. Today's anecdote also might be me at my worst as of yet. Trust me, there's more coming But this is me. I really am not looking forward to sharing this story today because I don't come out. There's no. Complex complexity to it. There's no nuance. I'm a I'm just a dick in today's story. And well, you'll see. You'll see. We'll get to it. But y'all know this this podcast is a lot like a lot like any Christopher Nolan movie. Shout out to that movie Tenet. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But you're going to have to watch it a couple times. I still need to watch it again. Because you talk about going back and forth in time. But we all know Christopher Nolan likes to play around with time. Whether it's movies like Inception or Memento. I guess Batman movies not quite nearly as much. But even to a certain degree. And this podcast is similar, right? I'm reaching back in time. But then I'm analyzing based on my current experiences and my current place in life. And then, of course, events are happening contemporaneously to me recording these podcasts, and sometimes I feel the need to comment on these events. And as this podcast is being recorded in January of 2021, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up two big events that happened in the first couple weeks of January. And there are much much more intelligent people than myself who have explored the significance of these events from many, many different angles. So I'm not going to belabor the points on these two contemporaneous events, but I do want to bring them up and just give you my spin on them from what I see and what, what I know in terms of how these events might've affected people in my life. And then we'll jump into my anecdote about me being just a total, total middle school dickhead. It really should be the subtitle of today's episode. Episode 4, Journeys into Whiteness, with your host, Jimmy Lincoln. Today's episode, we explore how to be a total 13-year-old dickhead. But, we'll get to that in a few minutes. First of all, i got to talk about Ju- January 20th, then we're going to go back in time. Shout out to my dog in the background, you might hear her annoying the hell out of all of us. She's a sweet girl, though. Then we're going to go to January 6th. And the only thing I have to say about the inauguration on the 20th, other than there were a lot of fire-ass outfits on display, like a lot, like people were bringing it. Lady Gaga was bringing it. Dr. Jill was bringing it. Kamala was bringing it. and Man, oh, man, was Michelle bringing it. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. All I want to point out about the inauguration on the 20th, and this is the first inauguration that I've seen other than probably Obama's first inauguration, and I, just, I don't even know if his first inauguration did it to this extent. This is the first inauguration I saw that I've witnessed where you saw almost, almost every slice of America on stage that afternoon in D.C., Full disclosure, I did not watch the director's cut. I watched the central festivities that took place right around noon on the 20th. But I know that things were going on all morning and into the afternoon and evening. So I'm not commenting on anything that happened outside of the hours of like 1130 to 1230 or maybe even one. But you had Justice Sotomayor. You had Jennifer Lopez. You had Lady Gaga. You had Garth Brooks. You had Amanda Gorman. Whoa, was she bringing it with that poem. You had the fire chief, who was an African-American woman. You obviously have America's first female vice president, who was also our first vice president of South Asian descent, who was also our first black vice president. You had America's diversity on full display on the 20th. And I've seen people comment on social media and people I've talked to about, and, you know, a lot of people in my circle are not surprisingly really excited about it and see it as just awesome. And it is. But the only thing I want to point out is that what we saw in the 20th, what is new and special about it is not the diversity itself. And we need to understand this really, really crucially if we're going to understand America. What's new and exciting about what happened on the 20th, and I hope most of my viewers and my listeners, viewers, I hope you're not viewing anything, hope most of my listeners get this, is that the diversity on display on the 20th, what's great about it is that it was on display. That's what's unique and new about it, is that it's being celebrated on one of the most important days of our country. But make no mistake, that diversity... Whether we're talking about people speaking Spanish, whether we're talking about skin colors that diverge from the quote unquote norm of whiteness, whether we're talking about females, women, strong women doing their thing. That diversity has always been part of our country, always been part of our country. And so I need my listeners, especially those who maybe don't always agree with some of my super progressive takes, to understand how important it is to really, really do some historical research and really read about the diversity that has, from day one, been part of our country. This country has always been an amalgam, a mixture of people. This country has always been cosmopolitan. and In fact, most countries, much more so than they realize or want to admit. Because if we don't understand that this country has always been cosmopolitan, then we don't fully understand the strength and the dirt the duration, no durability of white supremacy because that's one of the the chief goals of white supremacy is to pretend that that diversity never never has existed and that somehow celebrating diversity and inclusion is a new thing and i guess the celebration of those things might be new but diversity has never been anything but a bedrock of american history and american society and if you don't know what i'm talking about then Then I'm going to have to put together a book list. But this country, the 13 colonies, have always been linguistically, racially, ethnically, economically, socioeconomically diverse as fuck. So what was cool about the 20th is not the diversity. That shit's always been here. What was cool about the 20th was seeing that diversity front and center on one of our country's most important days. So I just had to point that out. Because I'm, I'm hearing some people saying, isn't that diversity awesome? And of course it is, because there's a lot of research showing the benefits of of diversity for a society and a community. But what's really awesome is that the diversity is finally getting celebrated. And I'm not naive enough to think that what happened on the 20th is some turning point in American history. I don't know if I even believe in that concept. But I do know I took some pleasure in seeing the diversity that has always been a bedrock to our country, seeing that celebrated front and center on the 20th. Now, January 6th, what the fuck? Two things, two things. And there are a lot of people, you know, you can never go wrong with the 1619 Project that the New York Times produces. There are a lot of people who are written about and will continue to write about the 6th and the white supremacist terrorism that occurred on the 6th, the attempted insurrection that occurred on the 6th, a lot of people have written and studied and will talk about that in a much more analytical and nuanced way than I'm going to talk about it. So, like always, this is my two cents. Don't come to me as as if I'm the Socrates of explaining January 6th. But there's two things I just need to point out to my listeners that that you may not fully be aware of. The first thing, and this is kind of the inverse point I was just making about the inauguration, is that what we were witnessing on the 6th, as shocking, as disappointing, as disheartening as it was, should not be surprising. White supremacist terrorism has been, as part of our country's history as anything else it's nothing it's not new now obviously seeing it broadcast on cnn and msnbc and fox news and all those other channels okay but let's not pretend that terrorism in the name of white supremacy and that's very much what we saw on the sixth is something new any more than trump is new trump's not new he's just the fucking id of white supremacy unleashed in public But whether we're talking about the violence, the decades and centuries of violence committed against indigenous populations in the name of white supremacy or slavery itself. I don't need to belabor that point. Good God. If you don't recognize that as the epitome of white supremacist terror, then I'm not sure what dictionary you're using. But let's not forget, it doesn't end with the 13th Amendment in 1865. Remember, from the end of Reconstruction until the 1950s, thousands, I'm not stuttering, I didn't mistake my numbers, thousands of African Americans are slaughtered by white supremacist mobs. And their goal is not just to punish individuals, and I'm talking about lynching here if you're not building the bridge with me. I think you are, though. My listeners are pretty smart. You're smart enough to tune into this podcast, right? Slaughtered without any trial, often without any evidence, but it doesn't matter if you have evidence, if there's no due process, without any concern for their civil and human rights. Women, children, men, mostly men, slaughtered by lynch mobs. That's the epitome of white supremacist terror, because that lynching is by definition designed to terrorize communities. It's not just to punish the individual. It's to send a message to the community. So let's not forget that that's been a big part of our country's history. It's, that's a part of our country's history that we're still not comfortable with. Like, And I'm not surprised, right? Like We're just getting comfortable with slavery, as sad as it is to admit that we really need to start having a lynching conversation really soon. The black community has been having that conversation. I mean, duh, they've had to, unfortunately, for survival. They've been having a lot of these conversations. But for my white listeners, you need to do a deep dive. You really do into lynching and the history of lynching in this country. And it will open your eyes and disgust and disappoint you. But it'll help you better understand what maybe happened on January 6th. Or the white supremacist terror that existed in the form of white leagues and mass resistance and opposition to any effort to desegregate, not just in the South, but in, in the Northeast as well. So once again, I just need to point that out. That's not what we're here to talk about today. I've got I've got, I promise you my story of me being a middle school dickhead is coming. But I've got to point out to y'all how foundational terroristic violence in the name of white supremacy is. How central it is to the story of America. And I'm once again, as always, I feel like I always have to remind people this because some of y'all still don't get it. I'm not pointing that out to bash America. There's no, I don't get any, there's no point to bash a country. Countries aren't, aren't people. They don't have feelings. I'm pointing it out because we can't fix inequity if we don't fucking understand the roots of inequity. And white supremacist terrorism is definitely a root down deep in the earth part of the inequities that relate to systemic racism in this country. So make no mistake, what you saw on January sixth, fucking sucked and was horrible and disgusting in so many ways, but there was nothing novel or unique about it from an American history standpoint. Eric Foner, his father, Philip Foner, First, but Eric Foner is a is a historian who has written a lot about Reconstruction and the the unfulfilled promises of Reconstruction, and he's written many books that are very accessible to a a non historian audience, to a lay audience. And I would recommend if anyone's interested more in understanding about about how the Civil War was was not in any way the end of terrorism in the name of white supremacy, I would, I would look into some of his work. He's just one historian that comes to mind that I think is, you know, he's just so, he's just awesome. So check him out if you get a chance, search his name. Second thing I want to talk about January 6th, and this is something that I'm, I'm actually being the conduit for people who don't have their own podcasts. I'm being the conduit for, for teenage African-American students that I work with every day as a teacher. And as a history teacher, of course, we talked about January 6th in my classes. And and I heard so much wisdom and so much thoughtfulness from so many of my students that that I challenge anybody who, who talks about like kids these days to to just shut the fuck up. Honestly, that's my challenge. Because I don't think anyone who talks about kids these days, and I'm using air quotes, I know you can't see it. I did mention viewers earlier, but I know you can't see my air quotes. But so often and I think every generation probably does this. And I'm sure I've been guilty of it. We like to, to criticize kids these days, whether it's in, you know, jokes and memes about millennials or just talking about how fucking lazy teenagers are or whatever the criticism of the moment is. But I promise you, if you work with teenagers and listen to teenagers on a daily basis and you're not impressed, then I'm not sure if you're paying much attention. So my kids on January 7th and 8th, as we talked about, the terrorist attacks, the, in, the attempted insurrection from January 6th were just incredible in their in their thoughtfulness, in their wisdom, in their grace, and in, in trying to make sense of the events. But there's something – and I'm many people around the country were. But what I want to point out to you, my listeners, that you might not realize – and I didn't fully realize this – And that's white privilege, again, that that allowed me to think about January 6th from a historical standpoint. It allowed me to think about it from an analytical and a logical standpoint and a constitutional standpoint. I thought about January 6th from all of those standpoints. I didn't think about it from a visceral standpoint because what I heard on January 7th and 8th as I talked to my teenage students was so much fucking pain. So much concrete, explicit pain. Not abstract pain because they were worried about our democracy and our norms, but they were in pain. They were hurting because what they saw on television on January 6th was so fundamentally opposite what so many of them have experienced as African Americans living in a country beset by white supremacy. That it was just another harsh reminder to them that even in 2021, we have so much further, so much further to go as a society. So many of my students have experienced more police brutality and more police harassment and more police negativity, sometimes on the campus of their own fucking school. And we'll talk about the presence of police officers in our schools in this country in a, in a later podcast, because what the fuck is that? but I'll just leave that there. But so many of my students have been treated so much worse by law enforcement than just about anybody was treated on January 6th. That it hurt them to watch those images on the 6th. And it didn't hurt them because democracy was being threatened. It didn't hurt them because lies about election fraud were being spread. It hurt them Because it was just another reminder to so many of them, and they shared this so, so powerfully with me and with their classmates on the 7th and 8th. It was such a reminder to so many of them that in so many ways, this country still doesn't really care about them as black men and women, as black brothers and sisters, as black children like the pain that my students brought to the class, to our virtual class. It was fucking on computer, obviously. And you could still hear it in their voices. How hurt they were. And so I need my listeners, my white listeners, to just sit with that truth for a little bit. Because it really, it even took me by surprise. And I wish it didn't. I wish I was a, in tuned enough and awoke and a enough and woken enough that I would have been able to to recognize that's how they were going to feel. But it was a visceral pain that I honestly just can't feel. And so I need y'all to just know that's what January 6th meant to 16 and 17 year old black children. It wasn't about abstract notions of our democracy, which in some ways I realized were made concrete by the events of the sixth, but it was much deeper. It was about a sense of safety and love that they so often do not feel from those who have the most power in our society. So there's my take on contemporaneous events. Now let's move into much less contemporaneous events. Talking about circa 1990, 1991. And today's anecdote about whiteness and how it exists in our world and how it communicates itself and white privilege and how it manifests itself is very, very straightforward. And probably it's one of those things that when I was first planning out these seasons and the episodes that we're going to go in each season and the chronology of each episode that I don't think this today's story immediately came to mind which is really says something. It's almost so commonplace and mundane that the fact that it didn't come to mind says something about me and says something about the world I've been raised in. But today's story is simple. And it involves someone who, who I'm a friend with now and someone who I have a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for now. And that makes it even harder to share this story. But I had a classmate in middle school And this, my behavior that I'm about to share with you continued into ninth grade. But I I feel like it was most prevalent in like seventh and eighth grade. Had a classmate. A black young lady, a black woman, black child. I don't know, 13, definitely a child, not a woman. And she was pretty cool. She was cute. She was funny. She was smart. She still... Continues to be all of those things, is an incredibly accomplished woman as an adult. And yet, I spent the better part of a year, if not more, referring to this black classmate of mine by this nickname, and not once or twice, not three or four times. Easily hundreds of times I called her this nickname to her face. I called this black classmate of mine bubble butt. Over and over and over again. Not because I hated her. Not because I wanted her to feel any sort of way. Not because I was consciously manifesting racist stereotypes, although I was, but I wasn't consciously choosing. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't think to myself, oh, that's a black woman. Let me objectify her body. Let me objectify her body using a negative stereotype that, that black women, just one of the many negative stereotypes that black women and black children have to deal with every day. No, it, there was no thought. That's what makes this story so fucking despicable. There was zero thought. I thought it was funny. That's why I did it. And it's not like her butt was... You know, it's a nice ass, to be honest, but it wasn't like some Guinness Book of World Records butt. Not that that would have changed anything, but... In terms of, like, change anything, in terms of, Like I'm saying, it, it wouldn't have justified my behavior. But this young black girl, 12, 13, 14-year-old, had to listen to a white boy... A white boy who was friendly with her in many ways, who shared many classes with her, referred to her as Bubble Bud. Hundreds of times. And now to this now black woman's credit. And to her family and her parents' credit. But also to the dismay of what it means for white America. It wasn't the first time she had faced this kind of harassment from a dumbass white boy who thought he was being fresh and was really just being racist as fuck. And this this racist bullying, because that's what it is, it's white supremacist bullying, didn't in any way break her down or break her. And to her immense credit, we're still friends to this day. But that doesn't change any of the fact That the act itself is fucking despicable. And what makes it even worse? And it's bad. Because I don't know, white listeners, I don't know if you know. And if you don't, please, please talk to your black sisters and your black friends and black people in your life. But my white listeners, you need to know and it's something that you can't fully understand, but you at least need to listen to the stories of black women and how their bodies are objectified in so many different ways on so many different platforms by so many different people. I don't, I don't even know how they deal with it without fucking losing their minds, but they don't. Black women are fucking badasses. Spoiler alert, we're going to have some episodes about about my love for black women and how problematic that might be, but we'll get to that. Cuz I realize me just in general saying, you know, black women are badasses is also making a very generalized statement. I'm sure there are some non-badass black women, but in my experience, I'm not going to lie. I've met more badass black women than not badass black women because they have to be. Think about it. They have to be badasses to survive all the bullshit that white society throws at them, including 12- and 13-year-old boys referring to them by the nickname Bubble Butt every single day for an entire school year and then some. When, of course, they're badasses, and this, this specific black classmate of mine is certainly... Certainly a badass woman to this day. And like I said, to her credit, has forgiven me for at best my childish ignorance, but at worst, like I said, my bullying in the name of white supremacy. But what makes this even worse? Because there was never like some event, right? There was never a time where I started calling her this name because she'd embarrassed me in class or done something. Like I said, I was kind of trying to flirt. But then it got way beyond flirting, because then I just thought it was funny. But what makes it even worse, especially as I speak to you today as an educator, as someone who has been working with young people for almost two decades now, what makes it even worse is that I called this girl the name Bubble Butt every single fucking time we were together, at least once, right, in the class, you know. And think about it, it's middle school, you might have three or four classes together. What makes it even worse is not that I called her this so often, because that's bad. What makes it even worse is not a single adult, not a single fucking adult ever spoke to me about it. Not once. And I got in trouble a lot in middle school and elementary school. So it's not as if, like, I was the good kid who was surreptitiously getting away with something that that adults never would have realized I was doing. And I wasn't doing this shit under my breath. I wasn't writing her secret coded notes. I was matter-of-factly referring to her using a body part of hers, which, and, and I know we're focusing on race in this podcast, but just parenthetically, like women in general, how often we objectify their bodies and how young at age we do it as a society, fuck out of here. But I was referring to her by a body part in a stereotypical way, constantly dehumanizing her, whether or not I was intended to. We've already had this discussion, right? Like, my intentions don't fucking matter. I need my white listeners to get over that. I wasn't intended to be racist. Fuck out of here. Whether or not I was intended to over and over and over again calling her this name and not a single adult ever spoke to me about it not one you can't tell me and i'm a teacher mind you you can't tell me no one heard it there's just no way i'm not going to i'm not going to believe that i called this young woman bubble butt for more than a year and y'all can tell on this podcast i'm not exactly good at modulate my voice my default is loud my second default is louder you can't tell me an adult didn't hear me. And not a one spoke to me. Not a one. And the vast majority of my teachers, because, you know, remember I grew up in Harrisonburg, a majority white city, small city. But this is probably true for most people, regardless of where they grew up. The vast majority of my teachers were white. And I'm sure that contributed some. But I don't even know if that's all of it. I don't know what the reason that not a single teacher, especially a male teacher, didn't at some point pull me aside and speak to me about how fucking disgusting this nickname that I thought was just silly was. And now, mind you, I know some of y'all are thinking, well, you know, they wouldn't want to embarrass the the young lady, or make it worse. Because she often laughed at all. She had a great sense of humor. And and I I mean it. And the only only reason I can say this is because I've spoken to her about it after the fact. I don't think because she's so strong and because she had unfortunately experienced the slings and arrows of white society at a much younger age than 13, I don't think this nickname really hurt her. But it certainly had the fucking potential to And I don't have any clue how it might have hurt other black classmates of mine, especially females. And the fact that not a single adult pulled me aside, quietly, one-on-one, not in public to make a scene or to embarrass her, not a single adult pulled me aside to talk to me about it. Because I'll confess to y'all something. That shit would have worked with me. I'm a softie. I got mad trouble in school, especially in elementary and middle school. Tons of trouble. Even high school, I got in my fair share of trouble. I guess we'll get to those stories. That's probably not going to be until the end of season two, beginning of season three. But I always was getting in trouble in school. And I hated letting teachers and adults down. I really did. I still don't like thinking I let somebody down. It doesn't stop me from getting in trouble. But if I get caught, what I'm saying is I have plenty of shame. I have reservoirs of shame. I can be shamed. Not a single adult pulled me aside. And it would have been nice in a perfect world, not even a perfect world, fuck that, fuck that cliche, in a just world, it would have been nice if a white male teacher had pulled me aside and really broken down for me how what I was doing was much more than some silly comment, how I was reinforcing decades, centuries of negative racist stereotypes and how I was potentially affecting not just the young lady who I was speaking to, but any person who heard me. It would have been, in a just world, that's what would have happened. But it wouldn't have even have taken that much for it to stop. A single adult, especially a male, because like a lot of middle school age boys, a lot of teenage boys, I think I, I often had one or two reactions to my male teachers. One of one two reactions, sorry. Words got a little stuck in my mouth right there. I either completely hated them or completely bonded with them. And probably, depending on some teachers, did a little bit of both, depending on the day and my mood and other variables. But either way, a male teacher would have held sway. And most female teachers even would have. But not a single one said a fucking word to me about it. Not even pulling me aside and say, hey, stop. That might have been enough. Hey, I heard what you said to her. Don't do that anymore in my classroom. Don't do that anymore in this school. Don't do that anymore, period. You can't tell me they didn't, somebody didn't hear over the course of a year. I'm not buying that. Teachers hear everything that they want to hear. I promise you that. I've heard shit come out of my students' mouth. And I don't mean shit in a bad way. I just mean I have heard things come out of their mouth that span the gamut from appropriate and brilliant all the way to inappropriate and dirty and inappropriate and just wrong as fuck. And I hope that each time I've heard something like this in my classrooms, I've addressed it. I'm not going to lie to you and say, I guarantee you I have, because I I know better than that. Like humans, and especially this human, are not perfect enough to say that. But I hope I've addressed it. And I just cannot get over the fact that me... 13 year old dickhead Jimmy Lincoln spewing vile racist stereotypes at a female classmate, at a black female classmate, objectifying her body using racist tropes that had been around for centuries and had done nothing but harm. That not a single adult was like, man, I should probably talk to him about that. Like I said, I thought it was commonplace and mundane. I thought it was nothing. And apparently, so did the adults. In In my middle school. So I don't, you know, as always, I I try to let y'all kind of draw your own morals and learn your own lessons from my stories. I'd rather just tell stories and ask questions. And there's definitely plenty of that here for you to do. But I would just say, if you're having trouble coming with any lesson from today's story, I think one simple one might be just say fucking something. And if you're an adult especially, you'd be amazed how many teachers I work with and have worked with over my career who are fucking afraid of children. You would think they wouldn't get into teaching, but trust me. Who are afraid to call children on their shit. And maybe they're afraid of the parents' reaction. I don't know. But the fact that nobody called me on my shit and the fact that I didn't even realize it was shit, like I didn't even think, this is one of those things, I did plenty of stuff growing up. Like the recent episode where me and my buddies like to throw shit at cars, at moving cars. We knew that was bad when we were doing it. At least I did. I'm pretty sure they did. They weren't psychopaths. We knew how fucked up what we were doing. Now, we didn't necessarily know the level of danger in that we could cause someone permanent bodily harm or even death. But we knew you weren't supposed to throw shit at moving cars or park cars, but we always threw it at moving cars because throwing shit at park cars was, that was JV to us. We were varsity, no good nicks. But the fact that I didn't even really consider at that age that Bubble Butt was that inappropriate. I knew it was a name and I knew it was silly and I knew she would have probably preferred to have been called her Christian name, but I didn't see it as anything really wrong or bad. Just. Just some playful teasing. And apparently, not a single adult did either. So I'll take the dickhead crown for this. But I need some adults in my middle school life. And hopefully some of them are listening. I don't know if they are. To think back now. And I'm sure they don't remember this incident from 30 years ago. But I need all the adults listening whether you're educators are not to think back in your life and think back in those times when you let shit slide, especially shit having to do with white supremacy and white privilege that you probably didn't need to let slide. And you don't need to be Ibram Kendi to address this shit. You don't need to be a historian or a sociologist or a political science major to address shit like this. You'd be amazed how just telling a kid that shit doesn't happen here, how powerful those words are. You'd be amazed how the phrase, I'm disappointed in you, how powerful that is. You don't have to break down centuries and decades of white supremacist ideology. If you can do that, great. At least if you can do it in a way that that the child can understand you, then go for it. But you don't even need to go that far. But just say fucking something. Let people know. And I guess this applies to whatever age they are, but I'm thinking of adults who have power over children in some way as parents, as coaches, as teachers, let them know this shit isn't cool. This is not how we treat other humans, ever, period. That's the lesson. So, as a teacher, I've decided to let y'all go a little early tonight today, whenever you might be listening to this. I don't really have a set link to my episodes anyway. But I also am always wary of of belaboring a point. I know I can talk. Shit, who else does a, a solo podcast where they just fucking rant and rave? Like, you gotta be a talker. You gotta be quite vain. Not to mention, have a history of being a racist dickhead if you're gonna rant and rave about white privilege in your life. So I've got the perfect storm. But I'm going to let y'all go. And I'm going to encourage you, as always, to reach out to me. My email hasn't changed. JamesLincoln313 at gmail.com. Find me on social media. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear you interact and engage with any of these episodes. I told you my ultimate goal, whether it's episode three, whether it's episode ten, is for me to... To maybe fade out of this picture and to just share stories of white privilege and white supremacy and how it manifests itself in so many different ways. Because I really am committed to this belief that the more we can shed light on these million nasty-ass fireflies of white supremacy that are all around us, even if we don't necessarily notice them, the more we can shed light on these, the easier it will be to destroy them once and for all. So please, please reach out to me. I love hearing from my fans, listeners. Fans might be pushing it. Listeners. Thank y'all, like always, for coming with me on today's journey. And sit tight. More episodes in season two of Journeys into Whiteness are coming your way. Peace and love.